Hi Rachel, what are you doing? I'm recording my lessons from Lost podcast. Who are you talking to this week? I've been speaking to V Portland. She's a woman of many talents who has experienced grief for things and people that she lost and also for things that she never had. We're talking about language, saying goodbyes and supporting people at the end of life. And a porcupine? Well, he may be out burlesque dancing. Sounds interesting. Let's go. Hello and welcome to Lessons from Loss, a podcast in which we share our experiences of loss and more importantly, what we learn from them, which positively shape and guides our lives today. Before we start this episode, I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge the courage and vulnerability of all my guests in sharing their stories with me and you, the listener, and also to acknowledge the impact that hearing these stories has, how they relate to our own experiences and beliefs about the world around us. So do please take care of yourself when you listen. I'm Rachel Smith, and today I'm delighted to be talking with V Portland. V has experienced many different types of grief and now runs VNES, an award-winning community interest company dedicated to boosting self-esteem and body confidence amongst women and young people, helping them to love their imperfections and be their best selves. She's also the author of a book for children and soon to be published one for adults and another one for children coming out very soon. Welcome along, V. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So I heard you talk a while back on your own podcast, Positivity, A Work in Progress, which I highly recommend people to listen to, about grief and loss. And it struck me as you were talking about your experiences that there's so many different forms of grief, aside from sort of the obvious ones around Mm. bereavement and, and death. And in a way, there was sort of grief about, um, so grief about the things that we've lost, but also grief about the things that we've never had the opportunity to have or that we've been denied. So perhaps we can start there. Yeah, Uh, well, I've, you know, I've had loads of the losses that we tend to think of straight away. You know, I've lost family members. I've lost a lot of friends. I have a disability that's a rare skin condition. And for some of us, it's terminal, not for me, but I've lost a lot of friends. But there's also for me, the elements of, I didn't grow up in a loving home. So I've grieved the fact that I haven't had a family. Um, I've also grieved the fact that I wanted children and I got pregnant in my early twenties. I miscarried and I I didn't record the date because I thought, I mean, it was devastating. It was horrible. It was painful. And, and I, you know, I was ready to have the baby, but I thought there'd be more. And so I didn't record the date because I thought, well, I don't want that date to overshadow the future dates, the dates of my future children. Mm. Um, but my that was it. That was my one chance. And... Uh, because of other conditions I have I haven't been able to get pregnant I haven't been able to have children and I am a I always end up in the mother role you know I am a natural mother hen I've looked after children most of my life when I'm you know working with people I always end up 
sort of, you know, in a group, I'm always the one that organises and makes sure everyone all right. Uh, so it was a huge loss in my life, you know, to not be able to have children. I said there was a, the loss of having a loving family. I still feel that, although I know that I've, I am who I am because of what's happened to me and how I've dealt with that. But there are still times when I miss having a good family. You know, things like Christmas. I have very few happy memories from childhood, but we did Christmas quite well. So I find Christmas hard because I don't have that anymore. But also things like Mother's Day, you know, and mm. every year I put up a post and say, please do not put the generic, oh, your mum's your best friend. You know, your mum's the only one you've got. And it's like, well, thank Christ for that. Because if I'd had more than one, I'd be dead by now. Um, my mum was not meant to be a mother. And it's fine if you want to put up, I love my mum. She is my best friend. Beautiful. That's lovely. But don't put the generic, all mums are great thing. Yeah. Because they're really not. And that's very, very hard for those of us that grew up with narcissistic parents, abusive parents, whatever reason, it's hard for us to see because you know, society gives these messages that if the children aren't in touch with the parents, it's the children's fault. You know, the parents aren't blamed. And it's like, well, I'd love to have a mother figure. And I haven't, you know, and I never really have had one. Uh, so... Yeah, those things are hard to to deal with. But thankfully now, you know, it only affects two or three days of my year now, rather than me feeling that tremendous sense of loss yes. for a large part of my life before. And I think that's something that's um, that's perhaps one of the the downsides or the disadvantages of social media, isn't it? Yeah. Because it really is just sort of thrust in your face and um I always my my daughter um, lost her lost her dad when she was six years old, and that always yeah, I just always feel a bit sort of cringy for her around Father's Day because everybody's posting up how much yeah. you know they love their dad and everything, and, and I just think oh that's the one day when actually that must really just dig in that actually she doesn't yeah. have her dad now and didn't for a a vast portion of her of her childhood yeah yeah but I think every year I didn't feel the need to post so much this year because normally when you go shopping in your local shopping center there's lots of big images so you know buy your best mum here card and so you're bombarded with it wherever you go but this year because we weren't really going out um it wasn't quite so heavy this time mm. but every year I do put up a post and people Every year I get people go, I hadn't thought of it this way. And they will edit their posts and say, my mum is. Uh, so I think it is just, fortunately, a lot of people haven't suffered loss, whether it's loss through death or loss through any other form, that they don't think about it, which is very lovely for them. But most people are quite understanding when you explain it and say, but that's not my, that's not my story. Um, I didn't have that, you know, and my, my mum, my parents were very damaging to me. And 
you know, that shouldn't be something that's celebrated just because, you know, his sperm met her egg and I was born. Mm. Um, that's, you know, that's all they did, really, you know, that was positive. So, yeah. Yes. And a, a lot of it comes down to, um, as you say, unless people have experienced loss, then they're not necessarily sort of clued in or, or aware of how others, other people's language can yeah. affect you uh, yeah I was very aware and I think actually because you you have written a blog haven't you about was it 100 101 ways minus 94, 94. Um, yeah. to help people who are grieving and yeah. I, I read it a few days ago and I can remember in my probably for the first year or so that those comments that people would say oh I'm um I'm dying for a drink or uh, just yeah. using those that sort of death and dying in, in just common language, yeah. just really, you know, I'd be going, no, you're not. No, you're not. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know. It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and, it, and it would just, it would just great. And just kind yeah. of have a little stab of, of pain or grief or, or, you know, yeah. something would crop up and yeah. And it's the same with the language has, we use so many words without realizing their true meaning. And it's so with that as well, you know, that I'm dying for a cuppa, you know, oh, I'm so ill, I'm dying, you know, it's, no, you're not. But also things, you know, said I've, I've got disabilities, so I've had to grieve the life that I thought I was going to have. And people saying things like, without my health, I have nothing. Mm. And that completely invalidates me and anyone else that is never, ever going to have good health. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, my life is actually pretty damn good. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, yes, I'm in pain all the time. And yes, I have to think about what I can and can't do. But, you know, I, I look like a walking florist most of the time. I'm nearly always smiling. You know, so it's about thinking of those things that we are far more than just our health. We are far more than what we'd have you know we, we we're also a culmination of what we haven't got as well and yeah all these things need to be celebrated and appreciated rather than sort of dismissed almost in a sentence you know in a I'm dying for a cuppa no you're not mm. no you're not um yeah so language is so powerful and we forget how powerful it is yes yeah. And without that, having experienced loss of, of whatever sort, it is difficult for somebody to understand how powerful that language can be. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, it's even things like, oh, I feel really depressed today. It's like, no, you're not. You feel sad today. Yeah. Depression is all encompassing and engulfing and you don't know where up is um very different to you just having a bad day yes but it, yeah. it, it devalues the reality of it whether it's the word depression whether it's using the word dying whether you know it's those words using them without thinking almost devalues the reality of them I feel yes absolutely so what about the grief then for the things that you have lost 
I wear um, five mantra bands around my wrist. Oh, okay. And um, two of them are linked to the people that I've lost. One of them says, always in my heart. And the other says, celebrate life. Oh, lovely. And it's a reminder that, so my, my maternal grandparents, I felt great loss when they died. You know, that was very normal, but they were of an age where it's more expected that they were mm. going to die you know, in the 80s and 90s. I've also lost a lot of friends, both to the skin condition I have, uh, EB, uh, but also friends to heart conditions and cancer. And it just, I miss them terribly. You know, I had one period where between April 2018 to March 2019, I lost five of five friends and two of them were my best friends. Oh, goodness. And it was just ongoing. It felt like I was not dealing with any of it. But And these were people that I saw regularly that I would mm. sit up late talking to. And people just didn't know how to deal with that. You know, losing one person's hard enough, but to be constantly hit over and over again in such a short period. Yes. And how that, did you deal with that? By putting one foot in front of the other, really. Mm. And I think it did help that the, the celebrate life mantra, I think for a lot of them, for the people who die with because of complications with the EB, with the skin condition, it helped me have a different view of my body. So okay. I'm a genetic mutant, so I could easily have gone even further down, but I've got one of the milder forms. It still affects every aspect of life, but it's still mild in comparison but I live in a larger body. And instead of, I mean, it took me years to get to this point, but now I'm like, well, I'm sure that all those people I've lost would rather be living in my larger body than being where they are. Mm. You know, I love dancing. I'm not meant to dance, but I love dancing. I teach it sometimes and I'm in agony afterwards, but I love it so much. And again, those people that I've lost would all be saying, wish I could do that. Yeah. So I feel it's a disservice to them if I'm not living as fully as I can. I think also it helped that with one friend, all the other friends lived in other cities, but one friend, you know, I saw her quite regularly and I was part of, I was one of her chosen few that knew how ill she was. I knew about the fact that she'd had breast cancer before when most people didn't. I was there when she was diagnosed. And it helped that I could be part of it. Um, I was very lucky that I got to say goodbye to her, which we don't often have that luxury, no. do we? And it really helps. And I think that really helped a lot. It also helped. There's... Um, Around the time she was diagnosed with secondary cancer, I went to a day called Dead Good Day Out. And it was really useful. And I'm sure they're all over the country. There are similar things all over the country. And it was a great way of, we all just talked about death. We talked about 
but it, it was a lovely, beautiful day of celebration. We made memorial fairies that we burnt and sent them off with messages. We saw someone do shroud, wrap someone in a shroud, which was, you know, I thought it was going to look like, you know, when you coddle a baby in a blanket, mm. but it is, it was really beautiful what they did. But it also helped in, I talked to someone who was an end of life nurse and it made me realise that for most of us, if we're with someone during end of life care, it becomes about us, not them. You know, well, we want to see them. And it's like, well, they're exhausted. Yeah. So what I did with my friend is I would say, well, how much time, how much energy do you have today? And if she said 10 minutes, but I want to see you, then I would go and I would set my alarm for 10 minutes then give her a hug and leave. Uh, because, yes, I wanted to spend more time with her, but it was about her. Mm. Um, but also things like, mostly in end of life care, but also whenever you've got a, a condition, so much touch is medicalized. So I would rub her hands and feet, I would massage them for her. And I would take the mickey out of the fact that her chemo had made her toes really hairy, <laughs> things like that, you know, because she was still who she was. She was still my friend that I loved. Um, and that's what I would have done before. So yeah, about remembering yeah. that we are still fundamentally who we are and treating them as a human and not a patient of course and as a, a physical therapist myself you know that that so gladdens my heart when I hear you say that you know sort of making that reference that when somebody is ill so much of the touch then is is medical based and you know you, you don't get that kind compassionate yeah. touch which yeah. is just lovely I you know i I I am sure that your friend hugely appreciated that yeah. compassionate touch from you. Yeah, no, I, I know, you know, I know she did. And it was, I'm very grateful. I had those moments with her when I know that most others didn't um, because it was about them. It was about their panic. What do we do? She was only in her fifties, you know, mm. so still very young and, very surprising you know she'd lived a she was vegetarian she didn't drink she exercised you know all the things we're told that will save you and yeah. it's all no um it doesn't always so it was a real surprise for a lot of people I think maybe because I was there first time round, it was only me and her husband and sons that knew first time round. um that helped you know that I'd sort of been there a little bit before but yeah, I think it's silly things like she would message me and she said, the boys have cut my fingernails and they've done them like boys. So I would go and trim her fingernails so they were rounded, yes. you know, um, and things like that, you know, and, and they were trying to help, you know, they really wanted to help her, her sons and her husband. But, you know, she wanted nice rounded fingernails and, and things like that. So it, it was lovely that she trusted me enough to ask for that uh, and that I got to spend that time with her in a vulnerable state because it's you know again I know with my disabilities I find it really hard to admit I need to use a stick sometimes I find it really hard if my partner has to help me get dressed or undressed you know so I know the vulnerability I know how hard it is to be in that position so as someone giving being the recipient of someone showing their vulnerability 
it's really important to respect that and understand how hard it is, but also not make a big deal of it. Mm. You know, not that, oh, I really appreciate that you're showing me these vulnerabilities. You, know, you just go, yeah, all right, then I'll cut your fingernails. Not a big deal. Um, and make it just something you're doing. It's not this huge task. And, yeah. So it's just a, yeah. an everyday normal occurrence. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I think that's you know, what you said about the, the grief for when someone is dying, and I think also for when someone has passed, is that it, bec- it, it's a, it becomes about the person experiencing the grief as opposed to the person that it's, that it's happening yeah. to. That, that sort of seems to, to ring quite that that resonates yes yeah yeah I mean I I would get upset you know when she would have people visit for several hours but then I would think about it and she would then message me afterwards and say I'm exhausted I wish they hadn't come and I know that she didn't think that about me so although Mm. I would have loved to have spent more time with her I'm glad I got to spend the time I did and it was quality time you know, I was one of the few that got to see her in the hospice. And yeah, I think, you know, I just kept reminding myself that I could grieve properly when she's gone. The important thing is being her, there for her. It wasn't about me. It was about being there for her because I had as many years as I've got left to deal with my grief. Um, yeah. Yeah. And just that beautiful thing of, of actually stopping and asking somebody what they need rather than making assumptions. Yeah, but even with that, I mean, this that dead good days out made me think about that. We quite often go, well, if you need anything, just say, mm. you know, and whether that's with someone that's ill, you know, a temporary illness or something more, but that puts a lot of responsibility on the yeah. person that's struggling. So to say, I'm going to MS today. Did you want anything? Yeah. You know, I'm popping to town. Do you want anything? Just to give them, uh, this is what I'm doing. But also to say, if you don't want to see me, I'll just drop it on your doorstep and let you, you know, let you know I've done it. Because that can also be a huge barrier. You know, like, well, I'm desperate for tea bags, but I don't want to see anyone. Mm. And I can't deal with seeing with anyone. So they, they'll go without. But if you say, I'm happy to drop them on your doorstep if you're not up to seeing me, then, you know, that makes it easier for them and it also makes that person feel safer with you, uh, which is really important because often when you're feeling vulnerable, you don't feel safe. Yes. So I guess it's about finding out what they actually need rather than that generic statement, if you need anything. So it's yeah. about saying, okay, and as you say, su- maybe suggesting things. Yeah. Because also yeah. I maybe by saying, oh, look, I'm, I'm going to the shops today. Can I pick you anything up? Actually then doesn't make them feel like they're asking you to do something that yeah. is out of your, you know, putting you out, which yeah. of course nobody minds doing for, for, for someone that they love in, you know, to help them yeah. out. But it's perhaps that, um, 
you know, they may feel, oh, they're being a burden on you. Whereas if you just yeah. say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to the shops or I'm going to the chemist yeah. or whatever, what do you need anything? What can I get you? Yeah. yeah. It's only a simple thing. Mm. And it was only because that lady, the end of life nurse, said it. And I thought that makes so much more sense. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm talking about someone, you know, I, I've lived with mental health conditions you know, for a large part of my life. And I still do, I still did the, do you need anything? Even though I know what it's like on the other side and someone going, do you need anything? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Um, you know, so I, you know, it's sometimes it only takes that one person to go flip it this way yeah. and have a look at it this way. And you, yeah, that makes far more sense and is far better for everyone. Um, and also, you know, for those people that want to help, don't have much time and so they're reticent mm. to offer in case they say oh I I want this from that shop but if you say look I'm going to this shop today do you want anything then you're getting something specifically from that shop and you're not going out of your way and so it means you're feeling better for doing something but you're not using up too much extra spare time that might be something you don't have much of and you're also doing something helpful for somebody else just better all round really yes yeah win-win for everybody mm. oh thank you for thank you for sharing that that's certainly something I will I will take on board so what would you say have been the sort of the greatest lessons or perhaps we should talk about um how Venus came about <laughs> very organically um so as I've alluded to already, you know, I, I didn't have a very happy upbringing. That meant I ended up in not very happy relationships because I was brought up being told I was fat, ugly and worthless. So that's how I expected everyone to treat me. And I reached a point in my life where it felt like the only way was out. And if you're not animal lovers, if people are listening, they'll find this hard to comprehend. But I just got a new kitten. And um, I knew I, I promised to look after her for her life. So she was the reason I stayed alive. And it just, like, well, I can't carry on living the way that I, I was living. So instead of always saying no to things because I couldn't do them, because no, I'm useless. No, I'm too fat. No, I'm too ugly to be seen. All of these things, I started thinking, well, I've already come close to death, both physically and emotionally mm. because I've been hospitalized a couple of times with with other conditions it's not going to be that bad so I started saying yes to things I was watching singing in the rain I love musicals and the word burlesque flashed up and I thought I wonder if anyone does that anymore googled it found a class and within 10 minutes I'd booked on and arranged a lift with someone oh, so I couldn't wow. back out um and from that, someone asked me to help them put on a show. And they said, well, if you're putting on a show, you need to perform. And I'm like, no, I couldn't even cope with people singing me happy birthday because that meant people were looking at me. And my paranoia was so high that I thought people looked at me because they thought I should be at home hiding from small children because I was so horrific, which was ridiculous because I looked after children and they loved me. Um, and she eventually wore me down and I performed just the once, <laughs> but that led to more and more. And I became an international performer. Oh, which wow. Was a surprise. Yeah. From that, 
I found a clothing company that made the 50s reproduction clothes that I loved and they fitted me perfectly, which was the first time in my life that clothes had fitted me because I'm, you know, I've got a small waist in comparison to my, my boobs and my hips. So I always looked like I was sat in a flower pot in separates, um, but the clothes looked really good on me. So I started going to vintage events and dancing at those. And both at the burlesque and the dance events, people would go, you don't look like an ordinary burlesque performer. You don't look like an ordinary dance teacher. Will you teach me? So I started teaching burlesque and dance. And then other people said to me, I, I'm loving the results you're getting with the people you're working with, but I don't want to dance. and I'm definitely not taking my clothes off, but will you teach me to feel good about yourself, about myself? And I'd been working hard on myself to feel good, to believe the good things that people were saying to me when they met me. And it, it took time, you know, and it was hard. And, and that's probably what my book's about, is about how I went through it and giving people tips on how to do it. But yeah, so from that, um, I became a body image movement global ambassador. There was a hundred and something of us in the world. And I started teaching confidence and self-esteem. And at the same time, I was running a voluntary branch of a project called the Red Box Project, which was about eradicating period poverty in, in schools. So I would take boxes of period products into schools and you'd you know, do the small talk and they'd always say, so what do you do, V? And I'd go, well, I teach women how to feel good about themselves. And they said, well, we really need that here. And I knew from my own experience, from the majority of the women I spoke to in my classes, that their self-esteem issues nearly always started in, in childhood. Mm. And I knew that a lot of schools couldn't afford to pay so that's why I set up as a community interest company so that I could do fundraising and apply for grants. So yes, and now I go into schools, youth groups, through the CIC, it's schools and youth groups and also vulnerable women, so crisis centres and things like that. But I also coach women one-to-one. -one. Because of the pandemic, I had to adapt because obviously I couldn't go into schools anymore. So that's when I started writing. And I've also created packs of cards uh, for to help people take things one step at a time. Uh, because I think when I was at my worst, I'd buy self-help books and they felt insurmountable. It was mm. like, that's not my mountain. I can't climb this. It's too much. So with my cards, people can just take out one card at a time and do that and feel a sense of achievement that they've done that and then move on. If, oh, if they sound wonderful. I'm really happy with them. They're very bright and colourful. Which yeah. I are they available now or are they still yeah, in They're on my website. Yeah, they're on my website. Oh, um, what's the name of your book for adults that you, well, all your books, actually? So the children's books, are, the first one was Where Are We Going? The one that will be out in November is Who Am I? And that's got the same character in. And there'll be a third one with her in called Are We Nearly There Yet? So it's the big questions that children ask. And they're about imagination and acceptance. So less than 4% of books have a character with a disability in. And when they do, it's usually about the disability, which are really mm. important for raising awareness. But I feel it also points out our otherness. So yeah. in my books, she's got a visible difference. But the only time it's mentioned is in the discussion at the back of the book. You know, And even then, it's not the first half page of questions. Uh, so... Yeah, she's got a series of books. The second one 
is more positive affirmations for children to sort of focus on who we are and what we do rather than what we look like, which is a big passion of mine. The adult book <laughs> so far doesn't have a name. I'm really hoping the editor who has it now will come up with a name, but to sort of express how bad I am at titles. So the first children's book, every other page, it goes, where are we going, mummy? And it still took me a month to come up with the title, where are we going? <laughs> That's how bad I am at titles. So, um, yeah, I've narrowed it down to two, I think. But then if the editor comes back and says, no, neither of them will work, then it'll be something else. But, yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, wish you the best of luck with those. They sound Thank they you. sound brilliant and I, I love the the concept of those cards as well because you're right you know I've, I've got shelves full of um, self-development books and some of them you know they're they're just so thick that actually you know if you're if you're in a bad place when you're when you're picking one up I yeah. that that just kind of adds to the oh god I've got to wade through all of this before I can get any answers or yeah or find some suggestions so for solutions yes yeah. yeah an academic and you're like you know um so I hope with all the things I do you know I have the academic experience I have the work experience but most important thing is I've lived it yeah. so I'm hoping people can get that from everything I do you know that I'm not just regurgitating information I'm sharing with you my life you know I'm sharing with you what I've learned and yeah, I hope people get that. And the fact that also they're, you said, they're very bright and colourful because Cindy Lauper said, had a quote, on her darkest day, she wears her brightest colours. And that's really sunk in with me. And I mean, I wear bright colours all the time now, but I used to live in black. And um, that's what I want the cards to do. You know, so I'm feeling really miserable. I don't know which way is up. But to pull out a card that's going to make you smile because it's bright red with flowers on, you know, if it's made you smile once in that day, that's a bonus, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Oh, what a wonderful thing to do. I feel like I could talk to you for hours and hours <laughs> and that there's still so much that we could we could talk about and explore and and share. But, um, you know, I'm very conscious of the of the time ticking on. So. <laughs> You know, what an awful lot that you've, you know, from all your experiences of of grief and for the loss of things that you had and for the loss of things that you didn't have, or the grief rather for the things that you didn't mm. have. You know, what a wonderful sort of contribution that you're you're making to other people to help them going through those sort of similar experiences. It's, yeah. it's brilliant it's lovely and thank, thank you. you thank you so much for for sharing your experiences today for for being vulnerable I you know I very much appreciate it and I I'm sure everybody will really enjoy listening to this podcast and, and get something from it I hope so but thank you for inviting me you know I mean it's I'm very much of the school of thought that I can't expect other people to share if I'm not willing to do it myself so I'm always happy to talk and and share and because we can all learn so much from each other can't we yeah absolutely 
And on that note, I will put it out there that at some point I will be having someone interview me <laughs> for an episode oh, yeah. of my podcast because you know, I, I fully accept and appreciate as you do that actually how can I expect people to share if I'm not if that's not something that I'm willing to do myself so watch this space it's coming <laughs> excellent <laughs> lovely thank you so much Bea. thank you thank you so much V, for sharing your experiences and lessons there's so much to explore around loss and grief and this conversation has made me more aware about the language that I use and perhaps how I might more effectively support someone through a tough time. If this episode has brought up stuff for you, please reach out for support. I'd like to thank all those who support me in the production of this podcast, to Jamie Farrell for the beautiful music, and finally, of course, to you for listening. If you got something from this, please share and subscribe. Thank you so much. And I'll be back in two weeks with another lesson from loss.